0: Welcome to Real Conversations, brought to you by Hedgeye. These in-depth, pro-to-pro investing conversations feature Hedgeye CEO Keith McCullough going deep with some of the smartest investors from around the world. We encourage you to visit our website, hedgeye.com, to get more actionable investing insights from our team of more than 40 research analysts. You can also follow us on Twitter at our handle, at Hedgeye. Now, let's get to a real conversation.
1: I'm Keith McCullough, and welcome to another real conversation. This one's going to be fun. Uh, I, for a long time, as a younger buck, I guess, when I came onto uh, the buy side, uh, I've always had uh, David Rosenberg as one of my favorite economists. In the beginning, people said it was because I was biased because he's Canadian. Uh, and then, uh, then over the years, of course, I've followed him very closely, and now I got the gray hair too. So, welcome, uh, David, and thanks for thanks for making some time.
2: No, it's great to be, Anki. Thanks very much.
1: (laughs) Some people think you and I are going to get in a fight about inflation. I think we're going to fight about you being a Habs fan. I thought you were a Leafs fan, man. Uh,
2: No. um, You know, when I was uh, uh, a young buck uh, (laughs) lying down watching uh, uh, the game on black and white on the parquet floor in my house in Ottawa, I was five years old, and I said to my dad, who's number four? And he said, Jean Beliveau. And uh, I said, "Who's he played for?" And my dad said, "The Montreal Canadiens." I said, "Okay, I'm in."
1: Nice. <laughs>
2: That's all she wrote.
1: Well, it was a good night for Carey Price and, and of course, your Habs last night. So, congrats on that.
2: Yeah, we, uh, we, we, uh, we're soundly beaten in every single aspect except the score, but. Um... <laughs>
1: That's good. Uh, well, we, we do stand on different sides of, uh, of the uh, the inflation debate, and I want to actually just get into kind of the, not the plumbing, but the specific differences, if there are uh, many. I've, I've been bullish or long inflation for a year now, so it's not like it's like I just went bullish because, you know, people start talking about inflation. Um, and I am quite interested in, in understanding the path and the differences of the disinflation, because, of course, we're going to see the peak of the cyclical inflation that I've been longing for. Yeah, we're going to see that imminently, really, um, you know, from a modeling perspective. But I want to get your, your thoughts first, uh, on the trajectory of what you think is going to go away. Like if, and however you want to define it in terms of inflation, uh, outright going away or just disinflating at a slow pace, whatever, whatever you think.
2: No, well, look, uh, I think what we've got on our hands is a, uh, a deviation. Uh, from uh, a trend line, and uh, look, we, we had we, you and I would be having the same conversation uh, a decade ago when we came out of the recession, the Great Recession, the economy uh, for a time period was strengthening. We had Obama's infrastructure package. We had fiscal stimulus. We had quantitative easing upon quantitative easing, uh, zero rates. Remember back then, uh, Bernanke was being used as the pinata by the inflationists, much like Powell is right now. And inflation actually for about a 16 month period, went from 1% uh, to 4% mm-hmm. in 2010 into 2011. And and the reality is that nobody remembers that because nobody remembers that. And uh, so uh, people re- might remember what's happening right now because in the context of the pandemic, but it's a deviation among a trend line. I, I would say among the inflationists, you have to explain to me, Uh, What's really changed except for the fact that uh, we're living in a world where the data has got extreme dislocation and distortion and noise uh, because everything that's happened in the past 16 months. Uh, I just don't know, and and I'm willing to admit if I'm going to be wrong, uh, I I just never have seen so many people on one side of the trade talking about inflation that we're just so certain uh, that the first global pandemic in over a century uh was going to be the trigger point to achieving inflation. Uh that no other central bank or fiscal authority was managed to do in the past two decades. Uh so I still think the onus is on the inflationists uh, to see if they're gonna be right. Uh when you're asking me, you know what I'm looking at, uh, I'm looking at the fundamental trend line and understanding that we do have uh a gyration around that that we can talk about uh The disturbance or the 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 dislocation now between aggregate demand and aggregate supply and we do have a dislocation right now and it's lasting several months uh i i don't you know jay powell uh never really defined what transitory is uh but transitory could even be a year or it could even be a year and a half Mm -hmm. Uh, and we had that actually i I go to my breakfast with dave recently all these 12 to 18 month periods where you get inflation spasms, but they're not they're not sustained. And the reason they're not sustained is because of what I call the three Ds. The what's well, defining the, the trend line uh, is uh, is debt. And then we're more excessively in debt than we were before. Uh, and the debt uh, that we have in our hands right now, globally, and in the U.S. and in Canada, is, is deflationary. That this is we are still in a debt trap. Uh, and it's a constraint on demand and it's a constraint on inflation. So we have debt, that's one D, uh, and we have disruptive technology and the fact that productivity uh, is accelerating. Uh, and we have uh, the aging demographics, the other D, which is people like to claim that. And Jay Powell talked yesterday about how there's a part of the depleted labor story is people retired earlier than they uh, normally would have because of the pandemic. Um, I wish I was one of the media that could have interviewed him yesterday yesterday because uh, there's not just a supply effect from demographics, there's a demand impact, and the fastest growing share of the U.S. economy is the share 65 years and older, Uh, and that share of the population, by the way, is going to continue to go up right up until 2030, and why 65 years and up is so important is because it's the only age cohort where spending on average goes down 30%. Uh, from the age cohort in the previous 10 years. The, the life cycle is such in the demographics that it's deeply, deeply disinflationary. So right now, look, um, over a year ago, the initial impact of the pandemic uh, was uh, to hit demand relative to supply. Uh, so we had several months where the PPI and CPI readings were negative. We actually had a month, if I'm not mistaken, where the front month contract and WTI went negative. Commodity prices were in free fall. Uh, And now we've swung the pendulum the other way, where we've got the vaccinations earlier than expected, uh, we've got the reopening trade, uh, and so with all that, the demand, and of course with all the fiscal stimulus, has come back much faster than supply. Well, the demand's come back faster than supply, uh, and that's created a short-term inflationary process. Um, But that's what we've got on our hands. Uh, I think it's disingenuous and I'm being polite when I say that to assume that with the reopenings, there will only be an impact on demand but no impact on supply. Uh, there's no evidence that that's going to be the case. And in fact, once the supply starts to catch up, demand growth is going to be uh, fading away because the fiscal stimulus is yesterday's story. So I actually think that starting September, October, people will be surprised uh, at how weak the uh, the cpi and the PCE prints are going to be uh, so the inflation we have right now and it is real at the same time i don't see the grounds that it's going to be sustainable
1: yeah that's um and i want to get into the specific timing of that um it's interesting because the 3d risk i used to write that all the time i think you were at uh gluskin i was still here um but those things you know th- those things aren't going away they haven't gone away and and sometimes I'm on the deflationary side of the trade, sometimes I'm on the inflationary side of the trade because it's just cyclical. It goes up and down within a long-term downtrend uh, within inflation. So I I absolutely uh, agree with the long-term on that. The timing from a market perspective, however, like I can get crushed if I get out of deflation too early um, you know, 2016 is a good example. Uh, or if I stay, or if I get off the inflation train too early. And I'm talking about like real, um, you know, full cycle investing returns as I, I like to call them. Um, but again, no, no, um, no debate on that. Maybe we can kind of touch on the demographic differential between You know this millennial generation coming into their early 30s, like their household formation years. uh, You know later in the conversation, but first I want to just show the uh, the slide of our nowcast because this has surprised me, David. I don't like um, I don't tell the data what to do. I don't tell the commodity market what to do. I just you know just again it's a predictive tracking algo. I go with what the what the data is. Um, printing in our nowcast, and it's been accurate over the years, and it does kept, capture uh, both the declines and the ascents because it does respect those base effects. You're absolutely right. I mean, when you had a negative oil price, obviously you, you can—I don't know if you can see this, but you'd you know this uh, by heart. You're the—you're one of the great economists of our time who knows every number. Uh, but again, zero—the number went to zero because the oil price went negative. So now the number is closer to five because we're comparing against that. What has surprised me. And I wanted to you know get a little bit more specific about this, is how my now cast in the out quarters, particularly this coming quarter, uh, would be what I would call trending inflation for multiple quarters here as opposed to just a one-off quarter. And I think you did say that. This could be uh, this could be a year or a year and a half. It's also interesting Steve Hankey said the same thing using his you know velocity of money model, which maybe we can talk about that too. But really I use my model. I want I want to know like how I get how those numbers are gonna come down um in the coming quarters especially with a couple of the big components of that model you know still almost guaranteed to go up
2: well you know i think that um for the next several months the numbers could still be pretty hot um but so the question the question i ask is so what uh the um we are still in a global pandemic Uh, It's nice that Dodger Stadium is filled and the New York restaurants are filled and things appear to be back to normal. Nothing is really back to normal and the world is not back to normal. We are still in the midst of a global pandemic and it's been a roller coaster ride. And we had the initial health shock, then the lockdowns. Uh, We had recurring waves, uh, massive fiscal and monetary stimulus. Uh, Then the vaccinations, which were a game changer. Uh, And then we had a relapse in the economy towards the end of last year, then two massive rounds of fiscal stimulus. You think things are really that strong? I know that Jay Powell had his particular view yesterday. Uh, Without all the fiscal stimulus, The economy is so weak that the level of GDP right now would be six percent lower Uh than it is today with all that all that fiscal intervention. Uh, The primary sources of vitality in the economy, vaccinations, and stimulus checks. So you know, um, yeah. So you know, we have a situation where, because of the pandemic, it's created uh, supply blockages, the fiscal stimulus, uh, and the fact that people for a long period of time weren't allowed or couldn't or wouldn't spend money on travel and tourism and recreational services. So we had an unprecedented boom in consumer spending on durable goods uh, and the supply side has been uh, curtailed and slow to come back. So we've got this uh, inflation related to supply chain bottlenecks. And then of course we have the fact that the airlines and uh, 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 tourism and uh Uh, hotel, accommodation, casinos, restaurants, they're all coming back. You know, um, a lot of these areas of the consumer cyclical services, uh, their price level is actually still below where it was pre-pandemic. They're just filling a gap. So I would just submit to you, uh, you know, you can talk about the data and that's fine. You can throw up your bar charts. But at some point, you do have to explain what's going on. And what's going on is actually very explainable. And so it's just the dislocation caused by the pandemic. It's the reality that when you look at the major incoming economic data, whether it's nominal or real variables, in the past 16 months are six times more volatile than they've been in any other recession or expansion. The data are six times more volatile. And at the same time, when you're taking a look at the consensus, which are normally not very good at calling the data in any event more than twice as bad as normal. So we're in this period of really elevated uncertainty, uh, and we do have a tremendous bottleneck right now in parts of the goods producing sector at the same time that pricing power and it's not real inflation. They're just filling the deflationary gap from last year. So uh, it's creating these short term disturbances. And so uh, I consider myself to be an analyst. I analyze the data I don't report the data i don't report the i don't report I analyze and uh I respect uh equity strategists who take the time to measure breadth in the stock market because if you have a stock market that's being fueled by two or three stocks, it's not a very healthy market even though the headline indices are going to new highs. Every technical analyst knows that what i don't quite understand is how come people in my community, economists don't apply the same discipline and looking at the breadth of the data. So I'm looking at the CPI data, for example, and I'm noticing uh, that the inflation that you're talking about is concentrated in the 20% of the index. It's concentrated in car rentals and auto leases and used cars, airlines, accommodation. So anything that's related to the pandemic and all the impacts direct and indirect from the pandemic. That 20% of the index in the past six months, for example, the prices have exploded at a 22% annual rate. But there's the other 80% of the economy that has not been affected by the noise from the pandemic or the responses and the indirect and direct impacts from the pandemic. And that 80% in the past six months is running at a 1.6% annual rate. And I look at that 80% because that is the non noisy segment of the pricing structure. That is the stuff that has not been impaired from the pandemic and all the distortions around it. That's the underlying trend. People want to say to me, why is the long bond, why isn't it already not at 3%? Why is that tenure not over two percent? Because there's sophisticated people out there that recognize the story beneath the headline of these price numbers. It's heavily concentrated. I did I did the work because I want to do my own work, but I could have just said, hey, the Cleveland Fed median CPI. Is that going up? (laughs) No. Why? It's running at 2.1%. It hasn't actually been accelerating. Before the pandemic, the median CPI was running at 2.8. So it's a very narrowly confined story. It will come out of the wash. Uh, So the answer to the question is I'm not hyperventilating. I wasn't telling anybody over a year ago, yes, please extrapolate this deflation into the future. That's a wise thing to do. I never told anybody to do that. And now everybody, it's like it's it's sport. It's blood sport to talk about the Fed being behind the curve, that we're going to have... Massive, massive inflation. People look at the money supply numbers. I'm telling you, for decades, the money supply numbers have had no correlation with anything to do with the economy, maybe with financial assets, but not with the real economy and not with inflation. So people want to talk about money supply. You talked about velocity of money. Absolutely. Why is bank credit contracting? What is it about the U.S. economy that we're in credit contraction? What is it about the U.S. economy that we have the first quarter Fed flow of funds numbers where the... Household debt-income ratio went from ninety-six percent to eighty-five percent, the lowest it's been since nineteen ninety-four. And you have people out there saying, "Oh, look at that! Look at how strong the U.S. household balance sheet is." Yeah, but here's the thing: is that if you're bullish on aggregate demand and you want inflation to go up, you don't want debt-to-GDP debt, to GDP, debt to income to go down. You want it to go up. Households have been deleveraging now for years, and and that's an ongoing process. One of the reasons why it was one of the weakest economic cycles of all time, despite all the gargantuan stimulus from 'oh nine 2009 to two thousand and nineteen. So people are just taking their eye off the fundamentals, the fundamentals of frugality in the consumer sector. Why do you think Biden felt he had to go big with $1.9 trillion? Because his economists were telling him that the New York Fed study had showed that the MPC, the spending propensity from the fiscal stimulus checks, is only is less than 25%. 75% of it's going either the debt pay down or savings, and I guess savings is code for a Reddit or Robinhood account. So, yeah, we have we have inflation disturbances right now and uh, there's no reason for me to think that it's going to be sustainable. The long end of the bond market is actually telling you it's not going to be sustainable because someone would have to explain to me why is the long bond rallying. And um, what do you know? All of a sudden, the speculators are taking profits in the uh, COMEX and in the other exchanges because 90% of this commodity inflation off the lows was not about real demand. It was about financial demand. And now they're taking their money and running. And copper and corn and crude are just rolling over big time right now. So when you're asking about what the inflation numbers will look like by the fourth quarter, they're going to be coming down a lot.
1: Hmm, that's an interesting view. Uh, I'm definitely an analyst. I got 40 analysts that support me. Um, and if you look at all the, um, if you look at, uh, the slide 16, so what I do is I measure and map every single time series and I do analyze every single one. And I don't tell myself a story that isn't true. I mean, I, you know, what I, I do think, and, and just to, to take your point on the 20% of the numbers that have gone up a lot, like just take a third of the number, which is shelter, which is going to go up a lot, you know, so that's. Um, that's one point there. And, and the second point is, because as you know, shelter, if you're just analyzing the CPI numbers, what's going to be reported inflation. You know, this is analyzing right down to the screws, every single data series across all of economic history. So that's what we do. Um, I, and I, that's one question. So shelter, why, why if, unless it's different this time, as you know, HPI, home price inflation, which is running double digits now, uh, is the leading indicator for HPI to go up on a lag and it goes up big time. And that's what I mean by the fourth quarter. That never mind the fourth quarter, but the first quarter of next year, a third of the number, which is just one thing, is going to be that thing. So what do you what do you think about that?
2: Yeah, I mean I hear about the rental inflation all the time. I don't know where that comes from. Uh, I never found there to be much of a correlation between home prices and uh, if anything, if anything, um, uh, what's happening right now from my vantage point, and you see it in the housing start data, is you're seeing uh, the strength is coming out of the Home building index, and you can see the home building index in the stock market's down 15% from the peak. Uh, You're seeing more rental construction. Uh, The vacancy rate is going to stabilize or go up. I'm not big, frankly. I know people want to build up the horror story on inflation. I get it. It's an interesting story, it's a very crowded story. Uh, I I don't get on my work, and you can talk about your work. My work does not show we're going to be getting big rental inflation. I know, I I mean, I debated Peter Bookfar recently. That's a big part of his thing. He's looking at other surveys. Um, but no, I, I'm not getting a sense there's going to be an impulse on the rents. Uh, and In fact, coming back to coming back to what you were talking about before, if you are big on inflation and you think rates are going to back up, you think, and everybody's saying, including Peter and everybody else, rates have to back up, uh, Mohammed Alarian, Fed's behind the curve, and you brought up housing. You brought up housing. Yes, you know that when you look at house price to rent, house price to income, you look at Residential real estate on household balance sheets to total assets, we are almost back to where we were in 06 and 07. Mm-hmm. We have a massive, and by the way, it's global, but we're, we're back into an enormous asset bubble in residential real estate. Well, you know what? Be careful what you wish for uh, because you know the last time we had commodity-led inflation that led to higher interest rates was back in that period in 06 and 07 and it triggered the collapse in home prices. And then we had a deflationary experience on our hands we are in such an unstable equilibrium right now in the most important aspect of household balance sheets which is residential real estate i'm actually in fact if you ask me why are you why are you a deflationist it's because i adhere to bob farrell's first market rule to remember that markets tend to return to the mean over time now not levels but ratios and these ratios in housing home price to rent home price to income now maybe you'll say to me that the home price to rent is going to normalized because rents are going up i don't think so uh and i think that actually if rates do back up and if the fed pulls a policy mistake because they mistake the inflation or if the fed look powell seemed very like a happy guy uh you know at the press conference (laughs) that you know but look go ahead you know we we have you know you're talking about inflation it's unbelievable unbelievable we have an 80 trillion dollar national debt at household, corporate, and, and, and government level. We have never been this exposed to interest rates in the past. And, and we saw in the last cycle. Like, I, I think that's the thing I've got to say to people. It's like, so tell me exactly. The last cycle, we got to 3.5% unemployment by the beginning of 2020. Uh, 3% wage growth, 2% inflation. Uh, the Fed couldn't even hold the funds rate at 2.5%. And they're expanding their balance sheet in 2019. Uh, they wanted to normalize interest rates. Remember the big thing about Jay Powell uh, in January, 2018, when he was going through his confirmation hearings, where he got to normalize interest rates. He said it over and over again at his confirmation hearing and thereafter. And he did in fact raise rates four times that year and threatened to do more. The Fed believed that neutral was over 3%. Oops. And they wanted to normalize interest rates. You, you, you explain to me how the Fed could not normalize interest rates in that last cycle, and it's because you can't normalize rates in an abnormal economy. And meanwhile, we're older. Yes, I understand about oh, I understand about uh, the, the millennials and the gen Xers, and they're all 38 percent of them living at home with mom and pa. Because they don't really have much, the way of job prospects. You cannot compare that to the advent of the baby boomers and the proliferation of female participation rates in decades past. The demographics are definitely disinflationary, Uh, and it was as true in the last decade as it's going to be in the coming decade. But it's the debt dynamics; it's the debt dynamics that matter the most. We are choking on too much debt, and um, that's why interest rates can't go up. Uh, and if inflation is really the big story, why isn't not why is it not a global story? Explain to me why inflation isn't ripping in Japan. Why is, isn't it, the, the country that's actually got the strongest GDP and the first country to come out of the crisis, of course, the country that started it, first country to come out of it, China's not. Where's China's inflation on the consumer side? Now they got producer inflation because that's that's all commodities. Mm-hmm. Where's their inflation? Is, is the U.S. just somehow? Become this sclerotic European type of inelastic economy where inflation is going to become a systemic problem. I mean, give me a break.
1: I hear you, man. I mean, but the problem with all that is that you miss a lot of market moves. I mean, the fact of the matter is that you know, get, being an inflationista is definitely not my career. As it, as you know, I I it, absolutely nailed the last time bond yields peaked, and this one I just said bond yields were going to double, and they did. So you're like, it, we're still at the point where. Like, I, I don't think picking today's move in oil, which is literally the first down day, is the data point. I think that it's important to have a, a good, healthy debate about if you really know this really, really well, like anything, I say this to my analysts all the time, analysts, independent research analysts, if you're really good at it, you don't miss the big moves on the other side of the move. So let's talk Like, there's a huge move here, David, that just happened, right? We'll and appreciate- I, I'm trying to risk-manage my way out of it. I, what, I think it, you, a lot of the longer-term... Demand issues to me could easily equate to this thing called quad three stagflation. So when I look at where inflation is likely to stick, empirically, that's what you said too. You said, look, you look at all the components. I asked you about a third of the component, which is shelter, which is absolutely going to stick. It's a back-tested reality with a 90% back test, HPI against shelter on a lag. You know, as you know, labor goes up on a lag too. These are all economic facts. Um, you know, that's that you could end up in an economic stagflation situation, which takes the S and P multiple to seven times earnings, and a lot of shit hits the fan. Like I, I'm trying to get to that place. I'm not, I don't, I don't, I'm not really like, I'm not an yeah. inflationista or a deflationista. I just got it. My job is to get for a year. I, I prefer to be right. I don't want to get that wrong. Um, you know, we didn't make the call on on yields bon, breaking out until November, which I think was pretty well timed. And yeah, what, whatever a guy like Bookvar is saying after that move. That's what he does, that's not what I do. Right? Like what I'm trying to understand is, hey, what happens next? What happens next on the, on the core components of CPI? Are they gonna stick? And then on the labor market, which is another question I had for you, it's like, now that we eliminate 21 states take, you know, taking people off the dole, isn't that going to provide for a potential upside in non-farm payrolls, which has been downside surprises the last two months, which is tamped down interest rates.
2: Well, okay, let's tackle the, the, the rental part first. Uh, I'm not getting a sense. When I'm looking at vacancy rates, I'm looking at absorption, and I'm looking at multiple unit construction. Don't got a big rental price story for you. Um, maybe you and I are looking at uh, at two different metrics that, that that drive rents. We'll see. I think that by September, October, we're going to be printing zeros or point ones. Uh, on on the CPI and the core CPI. So I think that we're going to see some significant... And and, and look, a lot of that is going to come from what you're seeing already on the commodity side and the pickup in the U.S. dollar. Uh, There's going to be lags there uh, on the goods-producing side. You're already starting to see, uh, outside of energy, the commodity side is rolling over. Uh, And the financial speculation behind that inflation is rolling over. And the dollar is no longer making new lows. In fact, the DXY... Just popped above the 200-day moving average. That's going to have an impact on import inflation, which has been accelerating over the course of the past several months. So there's a confluence of factors that are going to drive inflation down once we get past the summer months. And then, of course, that's just basically a bottom-up view. The top-down view is exactly what you said. Um, oh, we're going to get employment coming back, but will these people be making more money? Because aggregate demand is not determined by jobs, it's determined by income. Mm -hmm. And the reason why these people have been coming back into the workforce is because they're getting paid more by not going back than by going back. But that ends in early September. So I know that once again, J.Pell made a big point about the employment's coming back. Good, let the employment come back. At the same time, you're going to have intense fiscal withdrawal. With all deference to that view, we had employment growth. In the last three months of 2020, employment came back. But look what happened with the fiscal withdrawal. You, what, you have to explain to me if things are so hunky dory and the economy was already reopening, the vaccines, back, Pfizer Monday was November the 9th, everybody was in jubilation mode. Why did Trump have to sign on to a $900 billion fiscal package on December 27th? And I'm not even talking about what Biden did. In March, if you think demand is so, the problem here is that there's this is no permanent income tax cut. This is not, this is not even Obama's infrastructure from 09. This is not George W. Bush's income te- tax cuts from 2001. This is not Reagan's tax cuts. This is all basically fiscal stimulus checks that run out quickly. The money gets spent quickly. So all the government's done is create the conditions for a boom-bust economy. And we had the boom, and now we're going to have a bust. We had a bust. People don't realize because they only look at a- annualized averages. And we went from over 30% growth in the third quarter last year uh, to 4% growth in the fourth quarter. People don't know that from September to December on the monthly GDP numbers, GDP was negative 2.5%. I don't think it's well recognized that up until Trump signed on to that Fiscal stimulus that was followed by Biden, the economy was going back into a double dip. I don't think it's well recognized we were going back into a double dip, by the way, with people returning to work because employment was actually going up significantly. And yes, you're right employment is going to go up significantly and that's a good thing but these people are going back now maybe you're going to say to me oh well i'm my model's telling me that uh, the mall operator here and the and the theme park person and the restaurants they're all lifting their wages don't worry about it well we'll see about that these people were making a lot more on the dole and that's why they haven't come back and they all know their job's going to be there in september so they're waiting out there's there's nine million job openings right now yes so employment's going to come back question employment comes back What is the income going to be? And then what's the savings rate going to be? What is going to be spent? And the fiscal withdrawal is going to be absolutely incredible. And I said earlier that, you know, what happened in this cycle that is so abnormal is we had the worst economy since 1946. And yet, consumer spending on durable goods, which, by the way, is a $2.5 trillion market. What's getting all the people excited about airlines and theme parks and casinos and restaurants, that's a $500 billion chunk out of GDP. We're all getting excited over a restaurant-led and an airline-led recovery. (laughs) Have you ever seen that before? That's 4% of GDP. Once again, I say, give me a break. So What happened is that we went on a wild spending spree because we couldn't go out and have fun, so we basically all renovated our home. But you know what? You're not going to fit two swimming pools in your backyard and you're not going to buy another dining room table for your dining room. I don't think it's well understood that from the previous peak before the pandemic, the consumer spending on durables is 30% higher today than it was the previous peak. We did more in 16 months on durable goods expenditure than we did in the previous six years combined. We lumped in six years of spending on stuff. So people talk about all the inflationary demand impact from all the reopening and flying and look at the airlines raising their prices. People haven't factored in about the pent down demand, the pent down demand. I have not seen one analyst or economist or strategist except for me talking about, and here I will just be reporting the data. I will not be analyzing it. I'll report last week's University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Survey for June, which showed that home buying intentions. Now, this is only a 50 year old survey, okay? That home buying and auto buying intentions are down to the lowest levels since 1982. Now people will say, oh, well, there's material shortages and there's labor shortages. You know, really down to 1980, it's because we are maxed out, maxed out. I had my own chart in my own slide package that shows U.S. household durable goods assets per household. And it looks like a dot-com stock from 1999. You draw the normalized trend line through household spending on big-ticket merchandise, $2.5 trillion. Draw that trend line, and the reversion to that trend line offsets the increase we're going to be getting. In the services side, airlines, restaurants, theme parks, what have you, people haven't factored that. I don't think the Feds factored that in. They actually nudged up their GDP forecast for the year. <laughs> I'm not doing that. I think that people are going to be surprised at the GDP downgrades we're going to be getting. They're not, and, and 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 maybe maybe just the treasury market is braced for that. I don't know if anything else is, but we're going to have a significant slowing in aggregate demand. Just as the supply comes back, and that's going to be when you're taking a look at top-down inflation, it's only two curves. It's just two curves. It's aggregate demand, aggregate supply. And I'm going to tell you, I think the dislocation is going to run in the other direction through a good part of the second half of the year.
1: I I definitely don't think it's just two curves. I mean, it, it definitely would include everything that you just said and say that if that continues to impact The currency, don't forget that the currency is what these commodities and inflation you know broadly gets priced in. So if you think about this, and this is again a long-standing back-tested history. If you print money to infinity and beyond, and, and in this case you're right. I mean it's every other time it's not this president or that president. This one is wildly unique because you're combining the Fed with the Treasury with a mandate to almost control print, hit the button on jobs. So you know, if everything that you're saying happens, by the way, they will be cutting rates by 2022-23, not raising rates. And that isn't, it, you know, that could easily, you know, create stagflation in dollar terms. That's, there's, guys, show slide 48 just so that everybody has that long standing history. We're inverting the deficit against the dollar, of course. So we tried it in the 1970s, didn't work. Uh, Bernanke, to your point, back in 2010-2011, that's you know, we definitely—I definitely part part of building hedge. I was making that call on inflation back then, and then we turned back to deflation. Uh, but again, it was this 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 whole concept that you get a free lunch. It doesn't pay off in your currency's term in perpetuity. So that's that's the other vector that you know, I'm wondering about here. Do you actually do you think that with everything that you just said, um, and and the most likely reaction to what you said, and to me that would be stagflation—an economy where demand is just not re- where you're at. You know, we made a call this morning, to short cheesecake factory, Red Robin, a bunch of uh, rest, shitty restaurant stocks. Yeah, because the peak is in for that stuff. Um, but if it is as weak as you think it is from a demand perspective and we actually have reported stagflation, why wouldn't the Fed's automatic go-to move with Janet Yellen be to control print money like you've never seen before and the dollar collapses?
2: Well, first, I don't know what Janet Yellen's got to do with it. Uh, I mean, she's the Treasury Secretary. You know, so tell me what Treasury secretary you know maybe outside of Bob Rubin, I mean, can you name me the Treasury secretaries that that, that, that George W. Bush had or the ones that you know all the ones that Obama had? I mean it's, so, so Jenny Yellen once ran the Fed and was a Fed governor. she was chief economist for uh, Obama for a while. you know so she's Treasury secretary. So what? and what does that have to do with monetary policy? And Jay Powell's probably going to be on his way out anyways. So,
1: Well, that's worse. You know, I mean, because the next well, Jay Powell, her name could be Lyle Brainerd, and, then, and she well, worked but, for Janet Yellen. It whatever. So,
2: well, whatever. People said the same thing about Janet Yellen. Look, it's just all – people just talk. It's just narrative. That's not,
1: that's not talk. Said, M-M-T, you, don't, said, you think MMT is just talk from the Democrats? Yes, like, it's the,
2: talk. MMT is talk, total talk. Really? And yes. Just and stop. MMT's not not hap- – yeah, it's total just it, – it's just total – It's people need something to talk about. They need a narrative. Yeah, there's no MMT, okay? Uh, if we did outright debt monetization, they would have to actually change the Federal Reserve Act. It's just – people just need something to talk about, but most of the time they don't really know what they're talking about. Janet Yellen was supposed to be this big puffball that came to the Fed.
1: I'm definitely not the guy that doesn't know what he's talking about. I mean, Janet Yellen and Lyle Brainerd combining the the, the current setup with this political party in power, Lyle Brainerd replacing Powell with her and your economic outcome is you will see the most amount of money printed in world history. That is That's, that is that is not poppycock. That is exactly okay, what she's in the seat not,
2: to do. I'm not saying it's poppycock. I'm saying it's 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 your narrative. You can own that narrative. It's it's not my narrative. Uh, Lyle Brainerd um, what are uh, is not, not so much together? She's not. What are they she's actually. Do? She's she's actually. Look, there's no doubt that the Fed governors. These are the these are appointees. They're not. I, I I've never really met. I, I I mean I've been this business thirty five years. The people in the Fed are not crazy. Okay, with some. Radical political agenda, and 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 Lel Brainerd happens to be a brilliant economist. What I'm trying to say is that people said the same thing about Janet Yellen. Janet Yellen, the puffball Treasury Secretary that you're talking about, see people saying the same thing when she joined the Fed, and she actually was the first Fed chairperson to raise interest rates in December 2015. She did. She's a Democrat. She was the one that raised rates. The one thing that Bernanke, a Republican, never did. So it's just look. It's it's just. Um, it, it, it's just it's just basically talk. Uh, so they, I just want to get this right. Like,
1: if your economic outlook is right, fully loaded with all the issues, 3D risk, demographics, fully loaded, that this this turns into a certified shit show, economically and from a market perspective, you're saying that this Federal Reserve is not going to try to bail, you know, this is not going to be the next bailout from the Federal Reserve? They're just going to, like, stand by?
2: no i think that actually um they'll probably be forced to uh to do more qe because that's all they have left in the arsenal um unless we can do something uh, uh you know can we do something on fiscal policy you know beyond there's a danger in doing these uh short-term uh uh fiscal stimulus checks yeah uh and it's because uh it creates a boom bust condition in the economy i i'm hoping for an infrastructure package that's big, that has tremendous, you know, when people were comparing um, uh, Biden to Eisenhower, um, I was sort of hoping that maybe that could be true. Uh, but we're seeing that, look, there's there's factions of the Democrats, the Republicans, or, or, or nobody can agree on how this thing is going to happen, what it'll get spent on, uh, how it'll get financed.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, and I'm not going to say that I have all the answers, but I will say that we do know that the, we know what the Fed's reaction function is. We know the Fed's reaction function and they will probably um, expand QE, Uh, they might even expand uh, their repertoire. They've already gone further than anybody ever would have thought but when you get to the zero bound and they're not the only central bank in the world, every central bank has done pretty well the same thing, they're not the only ones. Um, So It's not just about the Fed, it's what you do with the zero bound. Look I was writing about this in 2019, I, I wrote repeatedly about what happens if we go in a recession. Of course, nobody thought we'd go in a recession. And of course, nobody thought we'd ever have a health health uh, crisis that would be the exogenous shock. But recessions happen because they're part of the business cycle. And I was always saying, "What will the Fed do?" Uh, and I and I went through uh, the Bernanke playbook uh, from his famous speech he gave in uh, in um, uh, in November uh, of uh, of 2002 uh, and uh, on the on the famous that's when he became uh, the mon- got the moniker Helicopter Ben. Um, and so uh, the, the point I'm making is that uh, I, I actually, I don't believe the Fed's going to be tapering because I have a different forecast than they do and the consensus, and I'm being true and blue to my own forecast. They'll probably be forced to do more. Um, but in the context of a deflationary output gap, uh, you know, you said before. Look, I have I have a bottom up framework for inflation. I have a top down framework for inflation. The top down is all about aggregate demand, aggregate supply. It is all about estimating the output gap. And people laugh about the output gap. But if you don't have a a version of the output gap, which is only measuring the excess uh, excess demand or excess supply in the economy, how can you forecast inflation? I said you need you do need two curves of anything. You need supply and demand to forecast a price. That's basic economics 101. You need two curves. Uh, I'm looking at a U6 unemployment rate over 10%, a cap U rate in industry of 75%. Uh, They are telling me that we have an output gap still of roughly 1% in a a quarter where GDP is 9%. And this is the peak cycle, peak quarter cycle for GDP. Uh, And so I think that is going to continue to exert downward pressure notwithstanding the gyrations. I'm looking at the trend line. The output gap is telling me we are still locked into a deflationary environment. And I know people laugh when I say that, but all of a sudden it's not funny anymore. You know, when lumber's down more than 40% from its peak and uh, copper's peeling off and uh, most of the ag complex is peeling off, uh, oil has got its own set of particular um, global supply and demand dynamics right now. Um, But I just tend to find that people people extrapolate. Uh, I, I think that if you had the view that we're gonna monetize the debts entirely, we're gonna go to MMT, we're gonna get big inflation. If the Fed's gonna say, we're going to be so risky. We're going to we're going to we're going to relinquish control of the monetary base. Uh, good chance that you know we're going to get we, we we could get big inflation. But I don't know why people want to forecast that. I don't know why anybody thinks that any 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 Democrat. If the Democrats are so you know feeling for low low income households, inflation is <laughs> a killer. Inflation is a tax on the poor and a tax on the elderly. And even Jimmy Carter knew that, which is why he replaced William Miller with Paul Volcker in 1979. So um, I, don't believe, I don't believe that inflation, I don't believe we can, we, we try to inflate our way out of this debt situation. I think what we have to do is, is, is create the conditions to promote uh, two things. Uh, yes, labor force participation, maybe we have to be more aggressive in immigration. I don't know, maybe we got to pay people to have kids like they're doing in China with the three child <laughs> policy and productivity and productivity. Uh, the infrastructure plan, if done right, could be a game changer for productivity. I'd be all for it. Really, what we have to do, we're talking about trying to address the debt income ratio. Let's concentrate on the denominator, which is national income. And there's two components. Uh, there's the labor force, but the population is aging. That's a dynamic that's tough to reverse. Productivity, though, productivity, uh, that to me is, is the real key. And that's really what's been missing. Uh, and that was that that was missing in the last cycle the last cycle again was a phony cycle where companies issued debt to buy back their stock we didn't go through any capital deepening capital investment was weak it was really when you think about it everything was weak in the last cycle everything was weak huge stimulus massive financial asset inflation but i continue to come back to you know to the people who have the big inflation view beyond the pandemic and the response to the pandemic and the fact that you know we have Employment 5% lower now than it was before the pandemic. Um, you know, what's the really the inflation dynamic here? I find it fascinating that, that there's people that say they have the two themes, the roaring twenties and the 1970s. I find people, it's really a classic case of cognitive dissonance. i hearing the same people talk about the 1920, the roaring twenties, and they talk about the 1970s, but yet the roaring twenties had mild deflation. It had mild deflation coming out of the pandemic. You know why? You know why? Because of electricity. Because there was something dynamic that created the conditions for accelerating productivity growth, and productivity is an inflation killer. Uh, So that's really what we have to do. Uh, Could the green revolution? Could that be part of? Could that be something that is transformational? um, You know, five G technology. You know, to me, that's really the key. Is 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 uh, is what can we do uh, to improve productivity? Um, and I'd say that maybe one of the, you know, one of the, I'd say the, one of the anti-inflationary developments coming out of the pandemic, because of course there's been this rupture between supply and demand that's created this condition for inflation near term, but productivity's been picking up, and a lot of people and a lot of companies learned how to use technology because they had no choice. And if you're any sort of uh, old economy. Uh, business, uh, you needed to get an online uh, thumbprint uh, in the pandemic to stay alive. So I was actually interested to see that in the worst year for the economy, since 1946, I mean, GDP was down 3.5%, that business spending on automation uh, actually increased in real terms by over 6%, and now all of a sudden, productivity is running at 4%. No, I don't know. I said before that the the, the the data have become very noisy. Maybe there's noise in the productivity data, but productivity's been picking up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's keep let's keep an eye on that because from a supply side standpoint, um, that's a tough one to say. I'm going to have an inflation call if productivity's starting to pick up. And that's again, nobody talks about that. You can, you can get four percent wage growth and four percent productivity growth, and you labor costs are running at zero. There's nothing inflationary about that. Mm-hmm. So I just tend to find, you know, people talk about money supply, they don't talk about velocity. They don't talk about why is it that bank credit is contracting. But you can't talk about inflation, just from a purely fisherian identity, the quantity theory of money, you can't talk about inflation through the money supply without talking about money velocity. You can't talk about wages. You can't talk about nominal wages as inflationary. without are really talking about productivity. Nobody talks about productivity. So I tend to find a lot of the analysis. I'm talking about the big picture analysis on inflation. From the people I read and see, is really incomplete. Everybody is into partial equilibrium analysis. Nobody is running general equilibrium analysis. I yeah. think except for me. But then again, <laughs> I don't know if I read my own stuff, but I certainly write it. <laughs>
1: That's awesome. Yeah, the uh I don't I don't watch Old Wall TV or read the Old Wall Journal. I have no idea what they're saying nor do I care. Um I just want to I just want to get the next move right. Um this next uh, so if you don't mind I'm going to just get some of these questions in the queue and one the, one of the first questions like cuz they get voted up. Um one really actually has to do with uh with the velocity of money. And I think part of that is that if you look back uh part of that's just an empirical fact. You know, when velo- just because you're printing money doesn't mean that you have the velocity of money. If you go back to the decade that was 2010 to 2020, uh, you really had very tepid um, you know, M4 growth in terms of measuring the rate of change of that, and people got it wrong. You know, they thought there was going to be inflation because there's a lot of printed money, and there wasn't. But now, like, uh, you know, looking back at the last year, you know, M4 has grown almost 30 percent. You know, so there is a lot of velocity, and um, really, I think the you know the first question. On, on that, you know, it has to do, they're asking, Mike from New York is actually asking about M2. I don't, we don't need to geek out about M2 versus M4, but um, during the great financial crisis, the velocity of money dropped dramatically and never really recovered. It has dropped again during the pandemic, which is not true. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm saying that is part of that part of his question is not true. Uh, do you see catalysts for money velocity to pick up this time, which it already has? I think so, and he's saying thanks, but I think you're saying that the velocity of money, which picked up because we did a bunch of stuff, is about to slow again, are you not?
2: Well, I think money velocity, the the rate of change is not as negative, but money velocity is not going up, and and it it would make absolutely no sense for it to go up. it only go up if you start believing that that we're going to start seeing a a credit creation process. I said before that the household sector has been deleveraging, uh, and so... If the household sector stops deleveraging, velocity will go back up. It's, but I'm not seeing any of it. We just got the, we just got the first quarter Fed flow of funds numbers. The the flow of Fed, the the household flow of funds savings rate is over 16 percent, first quarter, first quarter, which included the gargantuan stimulus, and the massive retail sales number. Um, but of course, because I said before, 75 percent of the proceeds. So it's just like so so you're talking about the government the government is basically disaving giving this money to the proletariat but they're only spending 25% of it mm-hmm. and you can't forecast inflation and you can't forecast interest rates just based on fiscal policy because you know you're talking about how you you, you want to be right on interest rates and you're trading the market well you know if i told you that uncle sam is going to be running surpluses in 1999 the 2000, you'd be saying, well, I got to be bullish on treasuries, but it was a horrible bear market in treasuries because the savings rate in the private sector uh, was plummeting as the government was building up their surpluses. If you remember, Greenspan was lamenting, how are we going to spend these surpluses? You have to take a look at where is desired savings benchmarked against investment spending. Desired savings, it's called the IS curve. It's the first thing you learn in economics, investment and savings. And interest rates will equilibrate those two curves. Uh, so we're in actually in a savings glut. All the guys said before, all the government has done, can you imagine where the output gap would be without the fiscal stimulus? I said the level <laughs> of GDP would be 6% lower than it is today at a time when the U6 unemployment rate is over 10%. Imagine where that U6 would be. So all they've done is they've been fixing a leaky boat with ridiculous short-term stimulus, which has no multiplier impact. Yeah, so guys, how are you, you- going to forecast rising money velocity? At a time when the households are deleveraging and it's been an ongoing process that's not temporary that's a secular disinflationary trend i said before if you're taking a look at periods of time the savings rate averaged two percentage points more in the last cycle than in the pre-great financial crisis cycle you don't think for a 70 percent share of the economy called the consumer that's not significant people say why 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 didn't inflation go up from 09 to 2000? Well, it went up and it went down and it went up and it went down and we finished off at basically two percent with a three and a half percent unemployment rate. Yep. So the problem the problem is velocity. If you're gonna to say to me, hey Rosenberg, here's my model on credit, and we're going into a credit boom, I'll say, okay, velocity is gonna to start to go up. That's that's not my model, by the way, and it's not my forecast. But we're in a business, you and I, where your assumptions drive your forecast yep. if your assumptions are going to a new credit creation cycle in the private sector the private sector the the, the corporate sector I, I go through the Fed flow of funds that came out last Thursday I spent two days going through that report that is probably the most important report anybody should focus on the quarterly Fed flows of funds it tells you everything you have to know and what you have to know is that the savings built up in the private sector is overwhelming the de-savings from the deficits in the public sector, which is why interest rates aren't backing up the way people thought. Now, admittedly, you were right; rates backed up. Inflation—it was actually more real rates than inflation. Okay, now we had the inflation from commodities. Okay, we had the inflation, but I mean, really, the, the, the but oil had bottomed months before. Treasury yields started to back up. The back when Treasury yields really happened towards the end of last year. Yep, And it was really after Pfizer Monday, which was a massive game changer. When I look back, that was a day to say, bull, I am bullish on everything risk. Pfizer Monday, game changer, U.S. election, the Georgia runoffs, the two rounds of massive stimulus, but then it's over. So I don't even think if you're asking me, oh how you know we got to one hundred seventy four on the ten year note on a closing basis, admittedly. Inflation was a the sideshow. It was really real rates related to higher risk appetite and the fact that <laughs> We're going to have gargantuan economic growth.
1: Well, right? you had—I mean, you had you had more than that. I mean, you had you know, slide 42, guys. as David knows this, but I mean, you had a massive acceleration into. I mean, the market front ran the two things that are going to drive interest rates higher faster, which was inflation went up. You know, it went from zero to five, and non-farm payrolls ripped to 770 after being negative only back in December, right? Like that's a big rate of change move. And again, you're not talking to the guy who's—you know—Johnny come lately here. I made this call on November the first, so. Um you know it was a great well I hope break.
2: well I, I i i hope that on march thirty first you switched and you went bullish on bonds on march thirty first because all of a sudden the all of a sudden when you're taking a look at it the inflation the inflation's already rolling over the commodities are rolling over they're rolling over the dollar is 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 broken above its Trinity moving average yeah
1: but that, yeah, that, at a time that, at a time a time at a time, like a, at a time, at a time when at average. a time
2: when the narrative is peaking come on, two weeks ago you got to the front page of Barron's the capital I, the inflation. Did you see the Barron's round table? The Barron's round table. Um, that's and that's from, not
1: analysis. As you said, it, I'm an analyst. I don't look at that. That's well, the same saying, or But, but it's a, the inflation trade is the most crowded trade. Well, what what I am saying though? No. It's actually not, Dave. If you look at what C- saying, I look, look at look, data, see pictures and options position the most crowded happened, trade in the market is, what, is your position. The most happened, crowded position in the market is actually the street is net long tenure notes. That's, uh, you know, greater than two standard deviations relative to itself. It's the biggest position, net long tenure bonds in three years, David. That's the position of the market. That, you know, the, what's on the cover of Barons is for monkeys. Uh, and so is the 200 day. I mean, you I'm assuming you've backed this to the 200 day. I mean, when the dollar got above the 200 day in March, people are like, look at the big breakout. I mean, if you invested on that, that's just, that, that doesn't make sense. I mean, people don't, you know, we're not using 200 day moving averages in the cover of Barons. I mean, the positioning of the market is net long, the concept of transitory inflation, and that the jobs market's going to remain benign. And you actually, interestingly, you, you agree with me that the jobs market's going to pick up really I, in the next couple
2: look, of months. Look, there's no doubt that the the, the, the speculators have been net long uh, for for several months now. Uh, and uh, that you're right, that could be, from a trading perspective, that could be a crowded trade. But somebody is seeing something, okay? Yeah, I I think it's labor rolling over. the two days, look, the reality is this. I I have 3,000 clients, okay? I'm only getting questions about inflation. Only questions about, oh, I'm telling you, I am only getting questions about inflation. I can't tell you the number of institutions that have asked me to come on their call because I'm directly, and I'll tell you, the biggest hedge funds in the world have asked me to come on their internal call because I'm so directly opposed to how they're positioned. Okay, so I'll just say that with all deference to the CFTC data in this particular respect, the sentiment on inflation is off the charts, off the charts. I have not done more debating. I think the last time I did debating on something like this was when people thought I was crazy on the housing call, (laughs) you know, back in 2006 when I was at Merrill. So I'll just tell you that. Yeah, there's the CFTC data. I guess there's the fast money guys are maybe buying into my view and maybe if they close their positions, we'll get a hiccup. You know, we were supposed to get the hiccup. Jay Powell was supposed to be the guy that gave us the hiccup on rates because apparently he turned hawkish yesterday. Then why is the long bond yield melting?
1: Because there's, there's, Melt- there's a big place called China. Why yesterday, yesterday, yesterday yes,
2: yes, yes yesterday when the, the narrative, the narratives were all yesterday. Did you see yesterday. the Chinese
1: were selling commodities, the, David? That's a pretty uh, big deal. The,
2: the narrative, oh, yeah. The narrative all yesterday was how the Fed, is finally acquiescing uh, to inflation and growth. But so, so tell me that. What? Why did CRB metals forget the bond market then? Why would CRB metals sell off yesterday? Because the dollar went Why did went the inflation? <laughs> so, okay. Did you, you see you, what you, happened
1: on the front end of the curve? So, you know, the so, so Fed t- the industrials front
2: end of the curve. went down. The tra- okay, the transport. Oh, so the dro- So, me, so the, bro- bro- the So, so, so actually, what you're saying, what you're saying, is that financial conditions tightened, financial and therefore, because, because tightened, I didn't say. You that. understand? You even understand? You, 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 you know, Powell was so Powell was so positive uh, and uh, that he tightened financial conditions to a point where all the inflation indicators went down yesterday.
1: <laughs> all right. It's actually, not. that's not what happened. What, what happened was that, you know, they took up their inflation forecast closer to where inflation has been reported. The short end of the curve had its first and only one day move to the upside. The two year note went from. 15 basis points to 22 and the currency market absolutely reacted to that because the relative trade on that relative to anyone else who said anything incrementally monetary policy was the other side of the trade i mean commodities go down when the dollar goes up that's what happened that was like a three-day trade (laughs) okay it's not
2: no what i'm saying is that what i'm saying is that is that people were the aha moment that well firstly the Fed didn't change its long-term inflation forecast. They marked to market this year's.
1: No, but the market, the bond market, believed that David. You can't on one end just look at the long end of the curve and not. Do you acknowledge what just happened on the short end of the curve? The bond market believes so, that the Fed. So, is- the, so the short end. So what? This,
2: the, the, all the information, my good friend, is at the long end of the curve. The no, front no, no, no. The front end of the curve. The front end of the curve is only reflecting. Monetary policy, that's it. And that's what moves commodities. The long end of the curve is reflecting a whole confluence of factors from inflation, the, the the most important inflation expectation determinant, and the most important fiscal policy determinant. Is at the long end of the curve. The long end of the curve is the most complex part of the curve to forecast. The front end is easy peasy. It's about monetary 100%. policy, and nobody's got so a better uh, oh, on. So record the Fed, on the long the end. Fed the says. So the Fed says we're moving our dots up, and the two-year note moves. Oh, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to draw those dots. Well, that's but that's the that's long why end, end got, of the curve. The long end of the curve is in the, the long end of the curve is telling you something about where inflation is going to be going. And where the economy is going to be going—that was the fascinating, right. the fascinating aspect of it. Since the meeting is not that long-term rates went up by less than short-term rates, it's you, that short so rates so at the front so end the went up? So the rates commodities at the long rates, the long went down because the Rates at now? the long end, rates at the long end have come down, and actually, the factors precipitating that has been inflation expectations, right? Which all of a sudden are reversing course. Reversing course, so you have this big inflation view, but the, your own markets are telling you that inflation. Your own markets. Okay? I, I, the I, I, I think of the curve I think if
1: you listen to some are, of the things I'm taking, saying, you'd understand my view. I don't have a big inflation view. I have let's get let's get markets right view. Like I and yeah, I've had interest rates right at every big turn for a long time. It's not like you're talking to some idiot. If you, I don't think you think I am, but even if you did, I wouldn't care. The fact of the matter is that. The commodities market just got clocked because the Chinese said they're selling commodities and the Fed just moved. The only thing they can move, which to your point, is not the long end, it's the front end. And when they move the front end, the currency market moves, and that's the correlation trade on commodities. Commodities four days ago hit a new cycle high, David. You know, it's not like- you know.
2: no, 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 no. Commodities only because oil did. The the base metals peaked uh, well over a month ago. The CRB commodities index. The ad complex peaked well over a month ago. Lumber- Lumber was in a steep downtrend. And lumber, by the way, has got nothing
1: to do with what the Chinese are doing. Lumber was in its own downtrend. Lumber dynamic. has nothing to do it with was the CPI already down 30, by the way. Lumber
2: I, was already down 30 Any analyst knows
1: that lumber has nothing to do with getting headline CPI right. Right, It's not. It's just a thing to talk about. Like you said, people talk about things. Um, right. but, but the fact of the matter is that oil is the heaviest weight in the CRB index, and it's the heaviest weight on any inflation nowcast. Like, if you're not modeling it that way, I don't think that that's you, but I mean, you'd need to be quite a macro tourist not to understand energy's component, you know, in terms of calculating CPI or shelter for that matter. You take both of those and you get those two things right, you're going to be a very good analyst for the rest of your career. Look, on I, I,
2: I've never seen anybody accurately forecast uh, oil prices. Um, you don't have to, you even even the now cast have, them. You, okay. Well, I don't know what the now cast was showing back in August of 08. So the mantra is that inflation is the highest. Five percent, you say we've gone from zero to five. It's not the first time that happened. I I've shown in the last cycle we had we had multiple spasms in inflation. A lot of it, if you're looking at headline and not core, is principally caused by food and energy. We got to we we got to five point four percent. In fact, three months in a row. Uh, June, July, August of 2008, inflation is over 5%. I'm Maryland's Chief Economist. I am in internal debates all the time about inflation and everybody thought, and if you remember back in the summer of 08, the Fed switched to a tightening bias, Tracy at the ECB raised interest rates. Nobody even knew we were in a recession. Okay, You had people out there on Wall Street saying we were in a soft landing. They thought that Bear Stearns was in the rearview mirror. Nobody was thinking about AIG, Fannie and Freddie or Merrill or Lehman. And this was all in the summer of oh8 Inflate so when I hear oh, inflation's gone up, hasn't a five panel, and of course oil was $140 a barrel back then. Yeah. And uh, and the mantras were that we're going to $200. Well, I don't remember that going to $200. But what I remember is that a year later, a year later, inflation went from 5.4 to negative 1.5. Mm-hmm. So extrapolating today's, and people were talking about the same thing—a new era in commodities that were—and actually. Actually, people uh, didn't even know. The recession started in January of 2008, but you see the NBER hadn't announced it yet. Everybody thought we were in a soft landing. Bear Stearns was a contained part of the financial situation that J.P. Morgan with the Fed helped resolve, and it was all easy peasy. It's all over. The ECB raised rates in the summer of 08. The Fed went to a tightening bias under Bernanke, oops. So people just hyperventilate, they extrapolate the latest experience into the future and that's where they get it wrong. Mm-hmm. So I don't know where oil is going to be a year from now. I understand the conditions as to why it's rebounded the way that it has. I don't know, did anybody ever predict what was going to happen when oil prices fell through the floor? When was it? In in 2014 when OPEC opened up the opened up the trap door and oil went collapsing? Who knows? It's a it's really a very controlled. I mean, OPEC plus. Um, so who knows and who knows what's going to happen at the next opec meetings and who knows uh if travel demand globally will continue to accelerate what happens with the variants uh right now the u.s has reopened most other parts of the world haven't come close to what the u.s has accomplished that has an impact on foreign travel who knows where oil is going to be going i don't have I, i don't have conviction in the oil price forecast that much i do know but i do know this much the last time inflation was at this level um the narrative on inflation sounded a lot like it does right now, mm-hmm. and nobody was predicting a year later we have a minus in front of the CPI prints. That happened to span a 12 months. We had over a 600 basis point swing in inflation in a 12-month time period.
1: Mm-hmm. That's why calling it 12 months ago should have been something that you nailed, right? Yeah.
2: Well, I, I say that um, I didn't hyperventilate over the deflation. Uh, I've been a secular bond bull. Uh, I, I should have turned more bearish, but not for the reasons you're suggesting. I think that I think looking back, Pfizer Monday, um, I say Pfizer Monday and the Georgia runoffs were two really critical dates from more, I think from a taken on a more risk on view. Um, but then again, and, and then the view changes, right? All of a sudden, yeah, so you go value to growth, steeper yield curve, bullish on financials. Um, but all of a sudden the curve is not steeping in anymore. A lot of this growth is priced in. Uh, we're not having the economy go from closed to reopen. That trade is largely done, and the fiscal stimulus uh, is um, is behind us right now. But you're right. Look, at, from your perspective, because you're you're an investor and a trader, uh, I'm more of a coach. Um, but you're quite right. But uh, I was never. I, I don't have any regrets about the inflation that's caused by a commodity spasm, and I don't believe in the, in the inflation story. Uh, the real rate story to me, and I would have caught a lot more of the bond yield sell-off by understanding that, uh, there was a different risk dynamic coming out of Pfizer Monday and the Georgia runoffs. Bigger impact on growth has an impact on real rates. I wouldn't say it doesn't have a secondary impact on inflation expectations, but if you had the real interest rate story right, you would have got most of the bond market story right. So, uh, lesson learned, uh, you know, for, for the next cycle. But, but what we're saying right now is basically, look, all the, uh, you know, When we were back below 1% on the 10-year note, you had a lot of bad macro news priced in, Uh, and now you have nothing but euphoria priced in. I I looked at Jay Powell yesterday, and I'm thinking, boy, this is actually a Goldilocks scenario. But you know, if it seems like a Goldilocks scenario, there is no such thing as a Goldilocks scenario. So I'm not the least bit surprised. What what, what I'm most proud of is that I didn't drink the Kool-Aid. Okay, that I didn't say at 174 in the ten-year note. I did not scream uncle and say, oh, my analysis is completely wrong. I'm completely wrong. Yes, we're going to two, two and a half, three percent. Look at all the people still saying that we're going to two percent plus in the ten-year note, and and now all of a sudden we're going the other way. Uh, So I stuck to my guns. I'll tell you the truth. I wish back in 05 and 06 I was more bullish on equities. I was pounding fists on the table, pounding my fist on the table, and I was a Merrill on the housing bubble. Okay, pounding my fist and I was wrong for two years, um, but then proven to be spectacularly right. And that's what people remember, by the way. So look, I'm not a market timer. People don't read my stuff and pay for my research for a market timer. I don't claim to be a market timer. I'm a big picture strategist. And I consider my role to be to catch the changes in the trend line. And I'll leave it to others to identify the gyrations around the trend line. But when the trend line changes, I will be the first to let you know.
1: Well, that's a good summary. I mean, at the, at the end of the day, you have your process and you have your conclusion and you, you outlined it with conviction. I think everybody heard that. and. And I appreciated that. That's at least you ha- At least we can still have like a debate. Uh, you know, if it was Leafs against Habs, maybe it would have gotten a little bit more uh, rough around the edges. But I appreciate that, man. That's like again, not many people have a process, so they don't stick to one. They just whip around, like you said, headline to headline, reading the cover of Barrons and whatever else. That's definitely not what we do here. Uh, but I, I I appreciate it.
2: Yeah, well, and, and the same thing is look, and, and 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 you and you appropriately called me out, and, and 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 look, I've been doing this thirty-five years, and so if you don't have a thick skin in the forecasting business, <laughs> go do something else. But you can't hide. Look, I I I don't hide from my mistakes. I try and learn from them. Yeah. Uh, and um and uh you know so the same point. I uh, I I wish I would have caught this bond sell off. Uh, I'm thankful that uh, I stuck to my guns uh, for this last say twenty five basis points. We'll see where it goes from here, but um, I don't let short-term influences determine my forecast. It's really I got to see the trend line change, and there's been times in the past when that has happened. The trend line changes—that's a really big call, okay. and everything else to me is shorter term in nature. And that's tell you the truth. I mean. Uh, it, that, that that's that's not easy to do if i if i could do that i'd be you i mean being being a being a being an investor and a, and a money manager takes a certain amount of temperament and <laughs> discipline that i i'd be the first to say that i don't have that skill set and i don't have that temperament but it's like i because because i but I, I don't i consider myself not i'm not a goalie in hockey but I, i'm a goalie coach and there's still i think there's still a role for a goalie coach even though i might might not be able to stop the puck for
1: you yeah, especially if you're Carey Price's goalie coach. But again, but again, it, like you and I have that in common too. We're both Canadian. We both do our own work and we stick to our guns, and that's the way it should be. I mean, being driven by what other people think and what the market does on any given day. I mean, that's crazy. Um, so you know, thanks for that, and good luck to your uh, good luck. I can't believe I'm going to say good luck to the Habs. I got I'm, I'm being too nice right now, but uh, good luck to the Habs. I'm not a Habs fan, but good luck. <laughs> He's David Rosenberg. He's the one and only. That I thought that was great. Thanks for
0: joining us. Thanks for listening to Real Conversations brought to you by Hedgeye. Don't forget to check out Hedgeye.com to get more actionable investing insights from our team of more than 40 research analysts. And check us out on Twitter at our handle, at Hedgeye. This presentation is informational only. None of the information contained herein constitutes an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security or investment vehicle, nor does it constitute investment recommendation or legal, tax, accounting, or investment advice by Hedgeye or any of its employees, officers, agents, or guests. This information is presented without regard for individual investment preferences or risk parameters and is general, non-tailored, non-specific information. This content is based on information from sources believed to be reliable is not responsible for errors and accuracies or omissions of information. The opinions and conclusions contained in this report are those of the individual expressing those opinions and conclusions and are intended solely for the use of Hedgeye's subscribers and the authorized recipients of the content. All investments entail a certain degree of risk and financial instrument prices can fluctuate based on several factors including those not considered in the preparation of the content. Consult your financial professional before investing. The information contained herein is protected by United States and foreign copyright laws and is intended solely for the use of its authorized recipient. Access must be provided directly by Hedgeye. Redistribution or republication is strictly prohibited. For more detail, please refer to the Terms of Service at hedge.com slash Terms of Service.